Welcome to Culture Score, a podcast at the intersection of Black culture and pop culture, as in popular culture, not bubblegum culture. Today, we have a special and dynamic guest for you, Keba Conte. Hey, hey, greetings, everybody. Hey, hey. And we are dropping a bonus episode. So we're touching on blackwashing today. And it's a follow-up to what we touched on in episode one. And since this is Black History Month, we thought we should dig into it a little bit deeper. So I'm your host, Ben, and we got Marcus. This is Marcus. Yeah, I'm here. I'm here. Um, thank you, everybody, for joining a second time. And uh, Cable, thanks for uh, joining us again. Well, Marcus BT, thanks for having me on Culture Score. This is uh uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Absolutely. Absolutely. So everybody's going to get to learn a whole lot more about Kaba. Um, instead of doing a traditional, much-needed introduction of who he is, as you dearly would like to know who he is, we're going to let his opinions and his thoughts introduce him to you. And we bet you're going to be in for a good ride today. So, blackwashing, gentlemen. Um, I guess we should start in just drilling down what that is. Kaba. What is blackwashing and what does this mean to you? Well, you know, I think blackwashing has many different, uh, you know, uses and meanings. But, um, you know, I, I guess what I think of as blackwashing is really is, is a spin off of the term I heard, you know, um, a handful of years ago called greenwashing. And greenwashing is with the movement of, you know, sustainability and organic movements and, you know, and everybody trying to do better by the earth, you know, eventually the business and the corporations started to catch on and see that this is what the consumers want. This is what the people want. So they started to sort of, you know, paint their packaging, their plastic packaging and their same old ingredients green with, you know, maybe some, some words, eco-friendly you know, and and sort of a overall kind of a green wash. It was not authentically sustainable products, but uh, they just wanted to bathe in the aura of of green. So, you know, I think recently uh, I, I used the term blackwashing as as uh, Black History Month approaches us. You know, we have you know, and kind of on the on you know in, in the middle of a of a movement, uh, a Black Lives Matter movement, I think there are a lot of corporations out there trying to sell us products and trying to improve their image with the with with a world that is trying to do right by Black people and maybe put an inauthentic spin on what they do. And, um, and I think we can call that blackwashing. That's very deep, man. You see it brother asked about blackwashing he talks about greenwashing before bring, bringing it back to blackwashing with a full definition of what it is so authenticity marcus what do you think about that you know i think there's a lot of really good points that he made i think he really delved pretty deep into that and i think it just depends on what what notion you're looking at you know i think when you're looking at movies and we kind of talked about this uh before we started recording a little bit earlier is that if you're looking at it from a cinematic point of view if you use the term blackwashing it pretty much the definition of the urban dictionary is pretty much saying when a when a black actor is playing a role that is prototypically played by a white actor uh for example if you casted a black actor to play harry potter or batman 
Uh, we would say the same thing if it was whitewashing. You know, if you took Glory and you kicked out Morgan Freeman and Denzel Washington and you put in Brad Pitt or Ben Affleck. But then if you look at just the basic definition of, of blackwash, it's an attack intended to ruin someone's reputation. So I actually think, and I'm going I'm to play a little bit of a devil's advocate here. I'm going to take Caba's definition, mix it with the cinematic definition, and even mix it with the more basic, uh, more pronounced definition. And I think it's all of the above. If you look at it right now, uh, what everything that happened in the course of the last uh, 10, 12 months with Black Lives Matters, you look at it now and you hear all these corporations saying, hey, we want to donate to the Urban League. We care about you. And you have to ask yourself, are they pontificating? Are they just trying to say it because it's the appropriate thing to say and they want you to keep buying their products? Or does the history show that they've always been an advocate? Um, if I may, and I, and I don't want to sit here and pr you know praise anyone or knock anybody, but I, I would say one company that, uh, Ben, you and I didn't have this conversation over the course of the last year that I think has been an advocate for the Black community that's a larger company um, for as long as I can remember is Ben & Jerry's, the ice cream company. Oh, man. They have like always they, been. Oh, I, see, I, I hit a nerve. I'm, I'm loving this. Okay, Boy, you guys agree like with Ben me. and Jerry's? Like, I feel guilty not buying the ice cream when I buy ice cream. Like, I feel like I'm selling out. Like, they're down. No, I love it. Did you, uh, they totally. <laughs> yeah, about they're it. about they it. About it when it wasn't politically correct, when it could hurt sales, and even when they got bought out by a large uh, corporation, they still said, "We don't sell our company to you unless you let us continue to stand by the causes in which is the fabric of who we are." And I was reading a few months ago, like they even got an ice cream that's going to be um, for Colin Kaepernick. Name a company that is standing behind it. So, so my thing I would throw to you guys because I think I'm going to open it up here and I don't want to take over the whole time. But then you have companies like Nike, and they're like, "Hey, we're standing behind you. We're standing behind you." I sometimes wonder. Nike standing behind Colin Kaepernick worked great for them because they end up selling, you know, all their jerseys sold out in, in mere minutes and all their shoes. So are they really standing behind him? Or is a company like Ben and Jerry's who had no dog in a fight and was like, we're going to sit here and have a flavor from him so we can give to his charities so he can continue to give suits to uh, formerly incarcerated people. To me, and it's just my opinion, and then I'll step aside here. I don't I can't think of a, a company that comes to mind who has put their money, their standards, their belief systems more at the forefront than Ben and Jerry's have. So I'll, I'll open that up to you, gentlemen. So I, so you guys were touching some really interesting things. The, the one thing that I want us to, a couple of things that I would like for us to touch to, to, to touch on. One is authenticity. And I'd like for us to do this transition into business, right? The whole concept of blackwashing in business. Because what I think Cable started off in talking about business, Marcus kind of roped it into entertainment. But I want us to tie into authenticity because I feel like this whole concept of blackwashing or whitewashing or greenwashing or what have you, it's about representation and presentation. So it's actually seeing somebody beyond their skin, right? So if, if you look at, let's just say Cable, for example, or any of these characters in a show that, you know, we can point to and say, in this case, the casting was done for blackwashing. If they actually represented the essence of that person in a different skin, would it be blackwashing? Would it not be? 
It's something we that so in terms of authenticity, Kaba, and I want you to tie this into a little bit into onto the business side of it. Do you see that authenticity is the issue, or do you see that business is just running ahead with the concept and not really tying it back to the spirit of what um, representation needs to be? Well, I, I think uh, that I think it's the authenticity, right? And um, you know because. I think that we do not, I mean, we are putting pressure, right, on society. We are putting pressure on these corporations to be inclusive. Um, so if they are doing it, I don't mind that they are being rewarded. They are a business. They should be rewarded with sales or they can be. I, 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 we can't hold that against them. I wouldn't hold that against Nike that, you know, because that could have backlash for them, too. That was no guarantee you know, for Nike, but, you know, but, but they knew, you know, I, but you have, you have other, you know, um, corporations that might make a $1 million donation to say the Negro college fund, but then they'll spend $10 million to promote the one, the $1 million donation, you know? So, so I think, I think, you know, that's problematic. Um, but, uh, I think Ben and Jerry's is a, is a great example. You know, I want them to be able to sell out, sell out this ice cream and um and you know let me just read the ingredients on on this really quick just in case people are not up on it so it's you know colin kaepernick's change the world w-h-i-r-l-e-d like world and um and the ingredients are caramel with huge chocolate chunks chocolate chips graham cracker swirls and chocolate um and chocolate cookie swirls it's funny they put graham crackers. I mean, like to to use the word cracker. <laughs> it's like you know. I mean, sometimes and 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 it's not obvious enough to where they're calling somebody out as a cracker. But how could they, you know, miss that though? I think that's well, a but miss. but I think I think cable to that. I, to me, like what is it? It always comes back to me that. When people are authentic with you and they don't need to have the out of, you know, I have a black friend or I went to a black, so I'm in a black community. When people are authentic, we give them a pass. Like they're allowed to be, they have the creative freedom to go directions they want to go because you don't, you're not offended by that on the surface. Like you actually caught this because your mind is curious enough to sit on the ingredients and think about it a little bit deeper. But for most folks, it's like, okay, whatever. But if it was somebody else or a different company like Louis Vuitton, one of these companies that we know, um, it have had mishaps, right? Or not quite been in the line that the community embraces them like it should. They, they can't do that because they don't have the goodwill built in, right? So I, I think to me, it just speaks to how much goodwill and how much of a, 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 a emotional investment and intellectual curiosity that you know, they've put into the community, they've put into the work that, you know, we're willing to say, hey, I'm still buying the ice cream. I'm waiting for the ice cream to come, right? And all of that. So I, I, transitioning, Marcus, this is Black History Month. We're talking about black blackwashing and Cable just talked about, you know, investing a million and doing PR work and marketing work for 10 million to showcase that they invested for a million. This is Black History Month. I mean, this came from the government, right? This is an official month that's allocated. So what kind of investment has gone into this? Uh, yeah, we're actually going to touch this right now. So you can feel free to hack at it. 
you guys talked about, um, I think that's going to be the, the theme, authenticity. I won't name names. It doesn't, it's, it's no point to, but we all have seen and heard, whether it be senators or you get that one token black person who goes on a specific network that they're on a network speaking about black issues, but they're saying things as the antithesis of what is for the black community. We all know who those types of characters are. That's blackwashing. You went out there and found you a black face to say, hey, you can't be offended by what this person says because they're black. Under the guise that they're speaking for the majority of us, when you know good and well that they're just a megaphone to preach and spew whatever type of hate that fits your dynamic. And I think that's one of the things that we're trying to avoid. You want to have someone who's authentically caring about the community in which you're a part of. You know, there's a reason why when you go to your local drugstore and you see someone who is able body just parking in a handicapped spot just because they don't want to walk, it offends you for a reason because it's not authentic. There's nothing wrong with that person. They were just too lazy to walk a few more feet. That's what I think we're all asking for when you talk about blackwashing or even in the case that Kayla was speaking about greenwashing, like people who are just saying something to line their pockets, but they're not really truly believers in the cause of helping people. And I think we all know, and we've all been there. We're all in corporate America, the three of us. You learn real quickly that the higher up you get, there's going to be fewer of you. I think we all would agree to that. And, and sometimes it takes a token to open the door for more of us to come through. My issue is, you know, we have a saying, and as uh, Kaba, you don't know this, but I'm from the South, and Southern people are very known for all these sayings. But we had this saying, like, don't piss on me and tell me it's rain. Like, <laughs> don't sit here and try to fool me and act like you have my best interest at heart, when in truth, all you're doing is lining your pockets and you just want to say the right thing because it looks good. That's that. I think that is the the essential nuance of what we all mean by, you know, blackwashing. So, Marcus, I don't piss on me and tell me it's rain, but in the same the same token, you want rain, right? And so, let me devil's advocate this that very premise for you. What's wrong with it? I mean, what's wrong with? And this is completely devil's advocating. So you cannot hold me for this opinion because this is me just devil's advocating. So what's wrong with? the concept of blackwashing if we're talking about opportunity that didn't exist before and somebody wants to dip their toe into it. So you've heard very often that, you know, the allies and the folks that want to advocate for representation, like full representation and equitable representation, sometimes they're scared because if they put a token in a spot that's supposed to be a beacon, it becomes blackwashing or it becomes something that can be used against them. So if blackwashing is the pivot or, you know, it's, it's your set of sale, what's inherently wrong. And if you, so I, I go back and I look at like entertainment and you say, we've always looked at, we've had opportunities to see white people play roles as Asians, as native Americans, and they've actually had black faces played in movies. Right. So if, if, if we're going to go to a place where we're asking for equitable representation or for casting in the right way, why, if somebody were to dabble in it and it comes off as blackwashing, should we challenge it or should we, should, is this something that we should encourage? Right. That's, that's the, that's the devil's advocate for what I'm going to play. I'm going to let you guys kind of take that, but it, no, 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 not that. That's a fair question though, because you know, um, and, 
and and the reality is that it's you know it's it's a risk either way right if you don't address it all if you don't address these subjects at all then you know you're going to look like you don't care if you take a risk but you you botch it then you know that looks that looks bad too so i think that um you know but i i think that if you i think if you take a risk and and you um you know and you're earnest about it um i i think it you know i mean really we got to take it case by case basis but you know you don't just get a pass cuz you tried and you failed you know uh i think if you just do it poorly but you know i think there are ways right there are you know there get more voices right uh at the table you know and maybe you don't have those voices you got to bring those voices and you haven't done you haven't done that work so Kevin, how do you do it right how do you do it right the how do you do that right the first time right so w- w- let's agree that the black the black black culture is not monolithic and the black person is not a monolith so i'm from cameroon that's where i was born there are tons of things that are black that don't include me in the conversation. So when I this there could be a whole black convention and I walk in and there's nothing that's representative of me. And so if if we're going to be inclusive and start putting people and bring people into the table and then holding these people that we bring to the table accountable for full representation of the black voice or black culture, are we missing something or are we burdening people to be to deliver something that they inherently can't deliver because we don't I think the flip side of this is that the white person has an ability to be an individual and and we can tie this into social things. I think one of the, we should actually touch on some social things here. We can tie it into social things to say, if a cop were to arrest a white person today who shot up a school, more than likely before any outcome, they have a mental issue, which I'm not downplaying in any way, but they have an ability to be an individual as opposed to, to arresting somebody from a black community that's an overall ghetto or an overall thug. And it's an, it's a big, broad label, right? So if, if you're going to go that direction of representation and bringing the right people into the room, are you still asking too much of individuals to represent the whole and not asking individuals to be themselves? Do you, is there not a dichotomy that you see in that conversation of bringing some people and wanting to represent the whole gamut of what? No, black I, I is? don't. I don't. I don't think that's actually the issue, right? It's not that the black person that they bring has to represent everything, and it, you know that represents you know every black person. But you know, uh, I think that it's it. If you're going to spend you know one million dollars, you know. Um, on, on a program, but you're going to spend $10 million to promote this, this equitable thing you just did, then that on its face just says more that you care way more about, you know, the, the, the look of this, right. How you're washing it. than you do about really having an impact because if you spent $11 million on it, the people would talk about it. Right. So, so it just, it, it you know, how they bring it, how they show up is usually, shows you the value that they're bringing uh, to one of these campaigns. Here's here's a, a, an example, and you guys tell me if I'm off off kilter here. Let's take, for example, cigarettes, okay? 
And let's say R.J. Reynolds, which, you know, we've all been into a black neighborhood. It's usually off of Martin Luther King Drive. And you see the billboard of cool, a cigarette that's heavily promoted towards the black community. If R.J. Reynolds came out and said, we stand by you, we're giving a million dollars to the NAACP, the United Negro College Fund, whatever, because we see you and Black Lives Matter, hashtag, whatever. That sounds good in theory, but no one, how can you say you for us when you're hurting this whole community? You're you're marketing something that hurts black people. You don't market, we don't see cools. Uh, cigarette uh, ads in white communities. We don't see them there or Schlitz malt liquor. And I even go as far as to say fast food restaurants. They all came out and said it and, and made these comments like, hey, we stand by you. But how often do you go into a black neighborhood and you can't find supermarkets that's got fresh vegetables for black kids and black families to eat? But there's 17 fast food restaurants there that's killing us by making us obese. So to me, yeah, that you do have a responsibility and you have a responsibility not to be a hypocrite, too. And I think that's really essential because why shouldn't we hold you to an uh, indelible standard? You know, I, I guess if I could give you just one last example. Last week, there was a football player for the Seattle Se uh, Seahawks. And supposedly, supposedly, you know, and I'll say allegedly because we don't know the facts. He basically tried to kill his girlfriend and tried to choke her out and thought she was dead. And then when she woke up, he's like, you're still living. I sat here and I watched sports center and I watched Fox sports and I read things in the paper. And you know what they always said? He has a mental issue. Now I don't want to at all downgrade or make light of somebody having a mental issue, but do any of you guys remember them asking Ray Rice that did any of you remember seeing any sympathy had by them? When you see a white terrorist come in and shoot up schools, the first thing they say is, this is what his upbringing was like. It was hard. It was difficult. It was just whatever. But then I'll see a cop slam a nine-year-old girl on the cement and knock her out. Nobody asked her about her upbringing. They was like, well, cops have a tough job. This is what we're asking for. We're asking for authenticity, <laughs> okay, and just common sense. There is a difference. And I think... It's foolhardy for us not to see it. And I think that's why so many people roll their eyes and, and suck their teeth when somebody say, hey, hashtag Black Lives Matter. It's like, come on. So so if, if, if you can if you can isolate that box, I want I want you to advance this a little bit further from what they said, because so on, on the business side. I mean, we can we can talk about this ad nauseum. Right. But but I think. The, the, there's, there's a separate argument to what business is for in the U.S., right? It, it's, it's really about the shareholder value and all of those things. But are we asking businesses to be the advocates of the concept of the institution that dilutes this? Are we asking the government to be an arbiter of, you know, diluting this let's call it for what it is, segregation and racist tendencies. Is that what we're talking about here? Is this, are you, did you think that um, CNN was supposed to be the one that did it? Did you think you looking at it and saying, oh, I don't know if Ray Rice had the same 
liberties or if Ray Rice was lended the same goodwill? Do you think that's something that they should look at? Or are you looking at this from a place of trauma? Are you looking at this from something that's been passed on generationally down and now we're taking it and trying and, and boiling it into this concept of, of blackwashing or not blackwashing? Do you think this is something that businesses and the government should kind of dip their hands into? Well, I think, you know, as far as, you know, what role, right, do businesses play? Now, you know, I, I think that uh, there was a concept that came out last year, maybe the year before, you know, uh, there's a name to it, but it's, it's sort of the 15% principle. Now, you know, um, a big corporation like uh, Whole Foods or Amazon. Now, um, these people, right, they're, they're, these big companies are benefiting from from the taxes that are being paid by the American people for the roads and the infrastructure. Um, you know, they've they have representation of, you know, of their customers throughout the country. Now, black people make up 15 percent more or less of this country. Now, the demand is, well, can you carry at least 15 percent of products that were made by black people. Now, you know, they have to look around and, and answer that question. So I, I don't think that's a unreasonable demand for a business or a corporation to, to abide by. Um, so I think that's a great example, right? They, they don't have to, they don't have to solve all of our problems, but you know, I, I think that's a really good place to start. Um, in, in my opinion. So, Kaba, if, if you took that 15%, and I'm going to bundle in a couple of things that Marcus has touched and you've touched on, you take the 15%, you take the donations to the United Negro Fund, you take that to the NAACP, and you take all of that and you pull it into a resource, and you back away from corporations and you back away from government entities and you take that into the Black community and say, some of these issues are issues of perception. Some of these issues are issues of uh, operational issues, the issues of exposure. And we're going to go back into the community and solve for entrepreneurship, right? It is, I think statistically, there's a very high level of Black-owned and minority-owned businesses in this country. I don't have that specific statistic in front of me right now. But there's, a, there's, a, there's like just this explosive growth of new businesses owned by minorities and by Black by, and by Blacks, right? If you take that money, instead of doing these donations and putting them into causes that I'd argue that the work that the NAACP does is for corporations. Does it help the community? Yes. Does it start at the root? No. That's my opinion. If you take all of these and you wire them back into the community and say, fundamentally, we're going to start at the kindergarten level and we're going to teach entrepreneurship and we're going to give opportunities and we're going to give the community an ability to have the, 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 the laxity in their minds of choice. Because I think, you know, when folks talk about, oh, this business was started in a garage and that business was started in a garage and this is the American story, I'm like, oh, great. There's a lot of people who've never seen pantries or garages or any of those things that you talk that where these businesses started. So they still didn't have a, ch a chance to start it. So do you think this concept is it's, it's, it's a fundamental community issue or is it one that we look at more at the, the cause, right? We're looking at we're not looking at the cause. We're looking at the symptom. Would you argue that that's what this is? 
I think what you're um what you're rubbing up against here, BT, is uh reparations. <laughs> <laughs> now, that's gonna open up a whole big conversation. I didn't say it. <laughs> I didn't say it. You know, it. you you just yes. I didn't yeah, come out you of did. my mind. Yeah, that, you're talking about reparations <laughs> by any other name. And uh and, and, and that's a big one. And and that and that's critical. Um, but you know, so you said that, you know, uh black people are starting businesses at a higher rate than ever before. Now, you know, one thing I know about why people start businesses is because, you know, uh, a lack of opportunity or they lost their job. You know, I think the last big wave of new entrepreneurship came in 2009 after, you know, the big economic crash then. Um, and I've been anticipating a, you know, a, a, a entrepreneur boom here. And I think that goes for, you know, um, for our community as well. Right. So we're, you know, um, black people are losing, um, their jobs at a, at a very high rate. Women are losing their jobs at an unbelievable rate, you know, um, through 2020. So, you know, so the, the, the next wave of entrepreneurs will be, women, they will be black people, you know, which is really, really a, a reflection of, of the jobs and opportunities that they've lost. This is going to sound really bleak, but I don't know if a system that's designed to have have and have nots can ever exist without it. You're going to always have someone in power who, you know, can say, hey, we, we see your pains, we feel it, but they don't have to care because they don't deal with it. And this is not a white shaming thing or what have you. This can happen to anyone. You know, I I saw today online, I was reading someone saying that they're getting COVID shamed because if you got COVID, people are like, well, you shouldn't have went out without a mask. Well, maybe you didn't go out without a mask. Maybe you just got it. I think as long as that's the world that we live in, that's what it's going to be like. And I, and I think when it comes to business, who has more buying power than the black community? What, why do we celebrate Black History Month? It's because equality, right? Isn't that the main reason why it's a reminder that we're all equal? Well, how are we all equal when I've only seen one Martin Luther King Boulevard in my life that wasn't in a bad neighborhood? But yet, if you look at Time Magazine and you look at all these things that come out, like who's the most respected person to ever live, I've never seen a list where MLK isn't in a top two, top three. If you care so much about him and you care so much about his I Have a Dream speech, how do you let one group of people who built the wealth of this nation and has so much buying power and you want them to buy your products, you're totally fine with them living in cities where there's no clean water or you want them to live in a city where their kids are reading eight you know, year old books. I think that's the, that's the thing that I don't like. I'm, I'm just, I've always been a person who's just really anti-hypocrisy. And I think that's what we see a lot of. You know, I was last last little anecdotal I give you, they were saying that when it comes to the motion picture, um, you know, business, which is the largest industry in the world is is the movie making business. I, I didn't know that until recently. And as I was looking at it, I was like, you know, what's crazy? No group of people spend more money watching movies than the black community and the Hispanic community. No one. And the numbers of blacks and Hispanic watching movies has gone up. And that's because we're starting to be more represented on a screen, not by a large amount, but we still go to the movies. My question is, for those people who sell black, Hispanic, 
Do you ever see any black coffee shops in these movie theaters? Do they sell black coffee in there? Any black, black uh, companies that's there? See, you're buying for any other sector of people, your buying power gives you a voice, right? That's true in any facet. Do you see that for us? Where, where is the, where do you see any popcorn suppliers that are Hispanic in those uh, movie theaters? You don't. And so, well, they're gone. No, he, he's, he's, that's not there no more. That, when he, he sold that to, uh, I think it was AMC. So that's the other thing. You make a valid point. The only time it is done is when it is done by us. And so I will end my little segment with this because I, I really want to hear you guys you know, talk about this some more. But one of the things that I've heard so many Black people say, especially the last year, is until this country and until this planet decides that racism, profiling, you know, all these types of things are no longer black issues, but they're American issues. You cannot, you, you cannot have change because I cannot be the victim and a victimizer. <laughs> I can't be both. So something has to be happening to me to put me in this position. And so I am all for, and I'm so encouraged by, you know, I was out there on the streets and I watched some of the, the, the protests that happened and I was so encouraged seeing black, white, Hispanic, gay, straight, tall, short. I saw people linked arm in arm. And that's what kept possibly cops from shooting folks because there was a unified front. Until we have that in business and we hold these businesses accountable for our dollar, which is hard to come by, but we're giving it to them. Then, yes, they do have a responsibility to, to answer your question earlier, Ben. If you are willing to take my money then you have to take my voice. My brother told me this when I went to college and it was one of the best piece of advices I ever got. He said, when people give you money, they get a say. So if you don't want to tell your mom what your grades are, don't have a pay for your school. So, um, and so, so I agree with you there, right? But if, 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 if you're a, if you own a horse and that it's a willing horse, every time you jump and eat to ride, no complaints. I bet you you're only going to stop when that horse is bald, right? And I think this is what, I think I'm using that analogy to say the history of the black man in the U.S., it comes from slavery, right? Were there black people before slavery? Absolutely. But this is how it was built. And when the economic system was built up after that, it wasn't built equality like we don't that's a whole nother deep dark hole we can jump into but i don't want to so i mean i'm just saying and this is why i keep going back and saying that to me we really have to sit i mean some of these issues to me um economic inequality is the root and, and i can't get past that i can't get past that because and this is not my analogy. I read this when, you know, George Floyd and, you know, we had all these issues going up. I, I don't remember who said it, but it was a black guy that was in a, a hall doing a speech. And he he kind of broke it down and said, if you have economic power, you can influence elections. You can influence who your sheriff is. You can influence who your judge is. You can influence what the banks do. And when you influence all these things, and if we're going to take it and say representation on the screen, you know, on and, you know, behind behind the cameras, right, below the line and above the line, if we're going to influence all these things, 
if the culture can't get to a point where we're fluid enough to fund the kind of movies that we like or where our dollars and and I I, I harp about if you listen enough to this show, you're gonna hear me talk about Black Panther a lot. And, and some of it is happenstance, but sometimes you need random things to give you data for you to be able to analyze. I think that proved beyond any reasonable doubt the power of the black dollar and the transcendent influencing ability of the black person, right? In, in storytelling, in the relevance of the culture and, and whatnot. And if you want to go a little bit to the side, I'd say Coco did the same, you know, for Mexican culture, right? And you can, you can go and point to all these things, but I think that kind of ownership, and if you just go back and look at Black Panther, there are so many layers of black in Black Panther, right? So many layers that the messaging that came from it was so authentic, yet it was so fresh that the black person could relate to it. And the non-black person could also look at it and go home with some depth and say, wow, you know that quote? I don't know what it is, but I'm going to look a little bit more to understand what this is about, right? But you know, to me, as you do the transition and you start looking at the relevance of companies and the relevance of you know, uh, the government and the relevance of, you know, civil power and financial power and all of these things, I just, it, it, there's no way that it escapes me that it always ties back to economic power. And if you think that the Black issue in America is unique, go out of America, like go to, let's just say Cameroon or go to Cote d'Ivoire or it'll probably appall you even more because the power there is this, it's not proportionate. Like here, you can actually say, oh, minority, majority. Like over that overwhelming majority, but underwhelming control, right? And so can they be blackwashing over there? Probably not. But it's the, the, the way the issues manifest, it's very similar. It's just as deep. It's just as cutting, right? And it... it Honestly, it will it, piss you off in, in a deeper level because some of the things that you you thought you understood of the why's this happened just get blown out of the water. Yeah, no, I think that's a very interesting point. You know, uh, when we when we talk about the role of Africa, what what role Africa plays, you know, in in the economic life of African America, um, you know, very often, you know, it's the African American you know, that is perceived to have the wealth, right? Um, and, you know, and if, you know, if, if we just add up this, what we're spending here, but, you know, but if you really, you know, not just look at what we're spending, but if you measure this, our, our wealth here by the land that we have, um, you know, and, and, and juxtapose that, by the land that we own and 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 control in Africa, you know, of course, you know, there's bigger geopolitical dynamics with China moving into you know in, in into Africa and, and the role that they're playing. But you know, I guess if if we have to really, if we're talking about centuries and the role, you know, the economics in in America, and um. And trying to find some, you know, um, equity, you know, here one day, you know, I think that we should not, you know, um, short ourselves by not counting in 
you know, uh, the wealth of Africa. And, you know, because the more powerful that and wealthy that Africa becomes, that has a that has that has an impact, you know, on on the role, you know, of the African in America. So I think that's important, you know, um, you know, and that's obviously a much, much bigger topic as well. But, you know, back to, you know, in terms of sort of the, you know, original sort of, you know, blackwashing topic. And um, now I think what happens is there's always a spectrum, right? We're calling out the blackwashing. But, you know, whenever there's a whenever there's, you know, an inauthentic gesture there, you know, I think is a lot of other folks who get it right, you know, um, and, 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 and folks who follow up. So, so I, I do see, you know, um, authentic, uh, gestures and campaigns and partnerships, um, to, for us here at, at, at Red Bay Coffee, you know, so I get the spectrum, you know, of folks who are reaching out to us to just sort of be the face of something, you know, maybe to participate on a panel that they maybe don't even want to pay me for, you know, um, or really giving me some sort of some level of equity, you know, um, and and stock options in in something that that we participate in. So there is the whole spectrum, and um, and I think that's you know important to to recognize and and you know even though you know and and what I'm seeing is it's not cooling off. There is a there is a popular culture where people are responding very sort of um, viscerally to the Black Lives Matter. And, and then there's this second wave of the corporations and how they're responding to, to companies and, the, and how they're trying to bring in more representation or equity. Um, and I don't see that slowing down. So I, I think that's picking up. Um, I think they're you know, they're, they're getting the message. And um, I, I see that, you know, just uh, picking up and turning up. And um, I'm looking to more of that. But, you know, ult- ultimately, you know, we need to be, you know, controlling um, these, these, uh, these corporations and having our own corporations and, you know, uh, and, 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 and building on that. Absolutely. No, so for me, I, I know we're kind of winding down here, but there's a couple of things for me. Like, and, and so as as we talk, we have this conversation, and you think about the NFL coming up, right? The Super Bowl's coming up, and the NFL is has an opportunity to burnish themselves of the Kaepernick issues that they've had. I'd be very curious on the perception of what comes out of this in terms of you know, blackwashing, right? We already know who is going to perform. We know that they have casts that are going to be there that have black skin. And to me, like I mentioned before, my issue is not so much the color of your skin and how you show up. It's how deep they see you. Like when, when Ben shows up, are you actually bringing Ben's whole self? Like, do you know where I'm from? Do you know the kind of outfits that I come from my culture? Do you know the kind of music that I like to listen to? Or am I just coming in so you can do the same setups that you've always had, but just change the color of the person that shows up to it? And I think these are conversations that need to be had because what we're solving for here is transcendency. We're solving for a big 
for, for a, we're solving for a bigger platform where we can have these conversations with men with multiple voices where Kaba can poke at my thoughts and Marcus can poke at it. And, you know, our listeners can also poke at it and say, no, I disagree with what you said, because at the end of the day, I mean, this is not a monolithic culture that we're solving for. But with that said, you know, my outro to this is I'm really hopeful for the little steps. You know, I'm very, one of the commitments that I've made to myself with everything that we've gone through, you know, with our civil life and socioeconomic issues and everything that 2020 and the years before I've thrown at us, one of the things that I'm really committing myself to is an ability to listen and to be curious beyond what I already know and what I already believe. So if I see somebody that's very, very opposed to my worldviews and to what I believe in, I don't, I'm not so quick to to disregard their opinions because sometimes they're just as committed to what they believe in and whether I agree with it or not, it's valid to them, right? So I'm, I'm really committing to that. And with that, if something comes across to me as an inadequate opportunity, I still acknowledge that there are positive steps, there are gains that are being made, but we shouldn't stop because there is progress, because progress is fluid. You know, what we appreciate today it's tomorrow, it's a norm. And so with that, we got to press the norms and we have to accelerate the norms because the least that you ask for in these conversations is that we don't need to have these conversations that, in my opinion, are like the level playing field. It's, it's not a mountain that we're climbing, we're leveling. And that's the least. A bomb can do that for us, right? So I'll pass it to Marcus. But to me, that's that'll be my outro. And that's really my thought around um, this issue and the progress that we should make and continue to make with it. Uh, yeah, I, I think everything you said is true. Um, I guess I'll end my synopsis with this. You know, I am encouraged, as I stated earlier, that we're getting more advocates than appropriation. It's not somebody who's just wanting to put something on their social media feeds and say, hey, I was here. I was at an event. But they genuinely care. And you know, we live in a liberal state, all of us. We're in California. I mean, is California perfect? No, but it's a more liberal state than some of the others. But I've seen a lot of advocacy and I recognize that. I appreciate it. I applaud it. And I ask that it continues. Um, I think our job, and when I say our, I don't mean the three of us or just the black community. I mean, all of us as a society, we have to call out when we see inequality, regardless of what your personal or, or religious or spiritual beliefs are. If you don't call out inequality, it's going to come and get you eventually, no matter what. That's just we'll just be calling a different kind of washing because it's going to always be that. So I'm encouraged about where we're headed. Um, do we have a long way to go? Yes. Am I am I just as willing to take up the fight against companies who I feel like are kind of exploiting us and wanting us to forget it just because they wrote a check to an organization that they think will be appeased by? but yet you have nobody of color on your board? No, I don't think we should let them get away with that. You don't get to, I always say this, you don't get to buy my blackness. You know, you don't get to buy that. And so to me, I'm like, if you are sitting here like, hey, we gave a million dollars to this or, you know, or to that. If you don't have anybody on your board that's a person of color, that's a woman, to me, your actions speak louder than your check. Your check it's looking for empathy, where your board tells me that you don't like equality. So 
that's where I'm at with it. You know, when we see it, call it out. Don't be afraid to. You don't have to be an a-hole about it, but let them know that they are seen because that's what we're looking for until you make changes. I mean, you know, you know, you bringing up the Super Bowl, you know, when the Super Bowl is Sunday and they got a Roger, uh, what's his name? Um, I forgot the name of the guy they named after, but they got a rule that says that all these black coaches are supposed to be interviewed. And here there is now, there's eight coaches been hired. Not one of them was black. The Rooney rule. Yeah. So here we are still the NFL is 80% black. You know, you got uh, the weekend coming to perform, you know, millions and millions of black people going to be watching it, but we're not smart enough or good enough to coach your billion dollar teams. That's what I'm talking about. All the hashtags, all the things you put on that helmet saying hashtag in racism, hashtag George Floyd, Breonna Taylor. That's great. But I want to see where your practice lies. Because you can say whatever, show me where your practice lies. And so that's what I say. Accountability is what I'm looking for. Well, on on, on that note, you know, with the NFL, and we talked about the 15% rule. um, But Marcus, to your point, maybe the NFL needs to be practicing an 80% rule. (laughs) 80 <laughs> percent principle yeah, yeah. so yeah sure. me but me me personally I, i've been boycotting the nfl since you know they they uh expelled and blacklisted kaepernick and i mean i, I thought that's what we were doing um and i think you know I, I think boycott is a very powerful you know uh tool and um i i think we just unfortunately we, we you know and i think we underutilize that tool but uh, I, I will tap in to see Amanda Gorman's poem, you oh, know, yes, uh, on the yes. pregame. And, you know, um, and just in conclusion, you know, um, I, one, one line that really stuck out to me at her um, poetry recital at the inauguration. And she said, America is not broken. It's just unfinished. And um, on, on that note, you know, um, I just want to, Thank you both gentlemen, um, BT and Marcus, to having me on Culture Score. This has been, you know, a pleasure to to share some thoughts with you and hope we could do it again sometime. Nah, absolutely, uh, Kiba. Thank Thanks you, for brother. coming thank through. You. Appreciate you guys listening, Culture Score. Until next time. Thank you. <laughs>